Welcome to the Two Moms Zero Attention Spam Podcast. Today we are talking about internet safety. I'm Jess. I'm Allison. All right, so let's jump right into it. So I actually haven't had to navigate this as much with my own kids, but you have teens. So I feel like, and I feel like this is really, really exciting for a lot of people doing gentle, respectful parenting, because a lot of the content that you see is geared very much toward toddlers, infants, um, and and people don't, because a lot of people with teens, people we weren't talking about gentle, respectful. Right, exactly, right. exactly. I think, um, and I didn't know what I was doing in the beginning. This was new for me, and I was the only one parenting this way out of my entire family, my entire friend group. Um, it was a lonely time, but um, I think the girls got cell phones. I want to say eight-ish. I mean, like older phones, but just for safety things at school or whatever the case may be. Um, but they were monitored. Um, they did not have them at night. Like they think they turned them in at eight or something on school night, something, something like that. And they were monitored and we would look through the phones, you know, and stuff like that together. Um, and we started having the discussions on what grooming sounds like, why some compliments may feel good, but why they're not okay the age group that should be talking to them. And not all at once, it was a progression, right? So we would talk about these things slowly. We would talk about our feelings. If someone says something to you and it gives you that icky, yucky feeling, what does that mean? And and how do you handle that? Um, so they had ages eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, six years before they had their phones um, 24 seven. Um, and I've never checked them since, not one time, but I was confident that, um, you know, because I guess when they were around 11, 11-ish, um, there was for some reason a lot of predators on the internet right then, like right before they had their phones full time. I don't know what it was, coincidental, but they were coming to me and we were having great discussions about it. And I think another thing that we learned is when we have those discussions, I never wanted them to feel shame in coming to me. I wanted them to know that they didn't do, they didn't do anything wrong. It's not their fault. Um, and that we would discuss it and work it out and what to do in those situations. But around 11-ish, I remember a lot of those scenarios happening. Mom, someone said this, or someone sent me this picture. And as a mother, my first in instinct was, I'm going to do something to that person because you get so upset, but I couldn't react that way. I had to, I had to say, you know what? There's a lot of sick people. I'm so proud of you for coming and talking to me about it. How did it make you feel? Um, and then talk about the feelings that were associated with it. But that, that was kind of the basis of, of how it started. Phones at eight, the discussions on grooming, coercion, um, red flags, all of those things, what's appropriate, what's not, the age group you should be talking to. It's a lot of information, but we had five or six years to get it all in before they had their phones permanently. Yeah, and I think one thing that people think is like, oh, it could never be my kids. They don't have access to this or access to that, or you know, um, they don't have their own phones or they don't have this, but kids today, they are on the internet and in some way engrossed in social media or, you know, whether it be at school and they're using their friend's phones or whether, um, and I think a lot of times when people are very reactive or very restrictive um, and they think, okay, my kid's definitely not doing this. Sometimes it's not that they're not doing it. It's that they're very good at hiding it from you. Absolutely. So they feel that they can't come to you about certain things. It doesn't necessarily keep the kids safer. It keeps them secretive. 
I can't, that, that's such a good point. I can't tell you how many of my, even my girls' friends were teenagers, 14, 15, would put apps on their phones and then they're like deleting the apps before I drop them off at home because their parents didn't allow them to have Snapchat or didn't allow them to have uh, whatever. Where there's a will, there's a way. That's, see, and that's what, I, and that's always been the case for teenagers, yeah. right? You're, they're not allowed to go to parties, so they sneak out. They're not allowed to do this, so they do it at, by the gas station before they go to school or right. like, you know, that they, whatever it is. Like, that's always yeah. kind of been the case. And I think one thing that um, that is very worrisome is that like the number one way the kids are abducted in the United States by a stranger is the preteen age group being lured away, being yeah contacted by somebody on the internet maybe somebody that they even think is another teen and then they're meeting up with them they're not telling their parents they're meeting up with them they're not talking to their parents about what it is that they're going to do because they don't want to get in trouble they don't want to get um and that's kind of a very scary thought so i think one of the biggest things that people don't think about when it comes to internet safety is how open is the communication between you and your child and then what is their sense of self-worth what is you know because of if they're seeking validation from strangers on the internet or maybe other kids on the internet from wherever it is, because they don't feel it in their own home. They don't Mm -hmm. feel, you know, safe, secure love for who they are. Um, I think those two things are probably the biggest things that go overlooked because a lot of things that we talk about is, okay, how do we get those apps that monitor the phone? How do we um, you know, take it and then read through everything, even if it's been deleted. And that's a lot of the things that's talked about with internet safety. Yes. But I think a lot of it can also come down to the connection and communication and how open it is. And what is your kid's sense of self-worth and what, it, where is their self-esteem? And, and being in, and you want to be proactive and as proactive as you are, there's still going to be instances, but I think another good example is Um, I always hear about 12, 13 year old girls getting caught sexting or sending an inappropriate picture or something like that. And the parents are so, I don't want to say overreactive because it's a huge deal. Um, but they're really, they're so upset and they come down hard and they call her names or they punish her and take her phone. When to me, it's a cry for help. Like when you're 12 or 13, if, if you were sending, pictures like that, there's a much larger issue going on, usually self-esteem or a trauma or something like that. And when you just shame, that behavior is not going to stop. You can take that phone, she'll have a burner phone, she'll have a friend's phone. We have to get to that core uh, reason why those things are happening. Mm -hmm. And also where did it start? Because a lot of times it's not a kid who just got a phone one day and then they're sending those pictures. They were talked into it. who is it that they're communicating with regularly? How long has it been going on? And a lot of that does come down to how much are our kids sharing with us and how open are they to sharing with us? Um, because I remember, actually, it's funny. So I remember when I was a teen, um, the internet was around. Like it was around. It wasn't obviously how it is today, but I had like the AOL chat and the MySpace was out and, you know, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um and, but I like, I really did talk to my mom about everything. And there was one time that somebody had told me to like type in boys.com on the computer, which was a porn site, but I didn't right, know that. Right, I didn't know right. that. I, <laughs> I was a kid, you know, or preteen teen. I think I was in like eighth or ninth grade, something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I did. 
and I was like very like <gasps> and I like I had uh, the first thing I did was tell my mom I was like hey um this what I saw. didn't know what it was so if we're like browsing that search history or whatever happened um right. yeah it was me uh not intentional didn't like you know but right. just so you know that happened um, but I think that's another good point is talking about um, having age appropriate conversations surrounding sex and intimacy and things like that and what it really is because my first introduction to anything sexual, I was at one of my friends house spending the night and they had a uh, VHS tapes back then because I'm old, but um, on the VHS tape it said, um, I think it said Dirty Dancing, like the movie Dirty Dancing but it was not dirty dancing. It was, you know, mm -hmm. the other dirty deed. So, it, you know, but I had never been, that was my first introduction to anything like that. And what a shock to be, that be the first, because my parents never talked to me about any of those things. And I think it's interesting that you say that because I think also a lot of boys talk about this being their first introduction to mm -hmm. uh, sex and anything sexually related is finding dirty magazines or, yeah. you know, with their friends, like, looking up like dirty video like I yeah, think a yeah. lot of boys and men share that experience with yes. that being like you know kind of sneaking like pornographic image or now it's so it's almost like a rite of passage for boys like right. in society it's almost like a rite of passage oh have you seen the you know playboy have you seen you know it's kind of like a rite of passage for them right and society. I think that's also why it's so important to have these open to have the open communication is not even just for like the everyday subjects but also for like the really tough subjects. yeah um so that you know your kids aren't getting their first impressions about these really important things yeah for places that are giving them false narratives and Absolutely. giving them you know, detrimental or damaging material or information, it's really important, even though it is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable yeah. to even think about for parents. So I can understand <laughs> why the com like why it's avoided, why the conversations are avoided because, and it's so foreign to so many people because think about how many girls who are older, right? Or women who are older didn't even know about their periods until they had one. I know. Like, oh it's, my God, I'm dying. I'm dying. You yeah, know? It, it's, 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 I wasn't educated on any of those things. So like we had talked about in other discussions, I found everything out from 13 and 14 year olds because I, I was never educated on those things. I was actually just given a book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, which mm -hmm. has like two series. It's for small kids and then slightly older kids. And it's kind of like a blueprint about how to talk to your kids about pornography on the internet mm -hmm. or, you know, not only pornography, yeah, but yeah. Um, on the internet because- um, as much as we like to think, oh, it doesn't happen. Our kids do stumble upon on YouTube, on wherever, even in advertisements. Absolutely. That you don't necessarily want them seeing, you know, because they could be watching a YouTube clip of something innocent. And then the advertisement is for like a rated R movie that, right. <laughs> like, yeah. that they happen to show like a very violent scene in the advertisement or a very this or a very that um little things like that that you don't even think of mm -hmm. is easier for kids to be exposed to these days mm -hmm. and it is something and and uh even with my kids who are little I think I talked about this before is like they're 
even people who take like the Peppa Pig or the Mickey Mouse and they turn it. So you think that you're watching Peppa Pig, it's the characters, it's the voices, but they'll have them doing something inappropriate. Like right. or the, the image is slightly graphic, even though it's a cartoon, even though it's the cartoon voices, it's not the actual show. Right. And unless you're, you know, very hyper vigilant, and whenever your kid is watching like in YouTube, and I think this happened on YouTube kids that I saw it happen with the Peppa Pig and I reported the channel and everything. Um, but unless you're hypervigilant and, and actually watching it, if you're just listening, it sounds like your kids are watching Peppa Pig or Mickey yeah. Mouse, which is very scary. So it's important to make sure that you are having these conversations with your kids so that if they see something like that, that, hey, this isn't supposed to be on this show or this isn't that they can come to you and say something. Yeah, and that um, they recognize it, that they, they even recognize, recognize it. Yeah. Right. That it's, you know, something that they're not supposed to be seeing, which is actually how I even found out about that that was happening on it was a YouTube kids and it was a Peppa Pig and it was supposed to be Peppa Pig and it sounded like Peppa Pig. I was in the same room as my kids. Right. And, um, and he was like, my son was like, called it. He was like, why is it? Why is this bloody Peppa Pig? And I looked and it was like, like the characters were like getting hurt doing stuff. And there was like, one were like, and it wasn't necessarily like super graphic. It's mm -hmm. a cartoon, but right. it's it's imaging that like I don't want my kids right. seeing it was violent and well, like cartoon violent, but yeah. But I mean, but, still, but it's no, still it wasn't, it's... Peppa, it wasn't Peppa Pig. Right. It wasn't what I thought my kids were watching. Yeah. But then we have a conversation about it, like, hey, thanks for telling me. No, this is this is not what we're supposed to be watching, or we yeah, be watching. Um, and if, thank you for saying things because now we can make sure that we report that channel because, um, because that's a really bad thing that somebody did to change yeah. it. And, and the fact that it. he felt comfortable, you know, talking to you about it, that that's always my goal in parenting is for my kids to feel comfortable talking to me in those moments. And this just popped in my head. It was really funny. I can remember my daughter, it was my youngest daughter, but we were in the car and she had asked me about sex and I don't remember her exact age. So I explained it to her age appropriately, like the mechanics of sex. And she goes, ew, you have to do that more than once. And she started, <laughs> she was like, ew, you know what I mean? It was so funny. She's sitting there like, what's happening? <laughs> That's so funny that you say that because, um, so I was the first person who told my sister what sex was because I uh -huh. had just learned it um, for like an age appropriate, you know, I forget when it is that you normally learn about those things, but I think it's like third or fourth grade. Maybe some people think that's really young, but I think like it's somewhere around there, you yeah, know, yeah. like third or fourth grade. And by the way, if you don't tell your kids what it is around that age, one of their friends will, one of oh, their absolutely. friends will find out what it is that what sex is and then they will feel empowered by that knowledge and make sure that all oh, the other everybody kids, else knows yeah, yeah it's like the first kid that found out that santa wasn't real yes <laughs> yeah so i came like i was like hey chrissy you know what sex is and i told her and she got so upset and I was like oh no and then she was like mom you did that and then she looked around and she was like twice <laughs> two whole times yeah but it but and then you know yeah. you're kind of you 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 have that conversation with yeah. your kid about age appropriate conversations it's always about age appropriate conversations yeah absolutely 
Um, and I think, I think taking small, and I think another thing that helps them too is knowing their bodies. Like there's such good opportunities. If you're in the bathroom, just asking small questions. I never wanted to, to just sit down, face my kid and say, here's this, this is what it is and never discuss it again. I wanted it to kind of be an ongoing conversation. Um, mommy helps you take your shirt off for your bath. Who else should be allowed to help you? That's right. Your doctor daddy or what, whatever the case may be. But I think those little opportunities of putting that in their head to let them know this is my body. I don't have to give it to anyone. I don't have to show it to anyone if I don't want to like those, just those little moments. I really think they add up. Um, Cause a lot of people have asked me, you know, when do you start um, having conversations with your kids about who a safe adult is? How y young can you start talking to your kids about how to identify a safe adult? um and unsafe behaviors and the truth is is you can start setting planting the seeds for these types of conversations when your kids don't even know what you're talking about yet one of the Absolutely. easiest ways is using anatomically correct body parts yes. when you use anatomically correct body parts number one it shows other people that you and your kid have a conversation about body autonomy yes. about their bodies and you have that sort of open communication with them mm -hmm. and then it also uh, like destigmatizes so that if anything ever were God forbid to happen that was inappropriate or that was uncomfortable, your kids don't feel shame yes. around those bodies, mm -hmm. around that to come and talk to you about it because you've had conversations. They know what their private parts are. They know the anatomically correct names. They know who is and who isn't supposed to be um, you know, seeing them and in what circumstances because yes. there are very few, right? Mm -hmm. Um but it also releases the shame and stigma so that yes. they don't feel like they're saying a dirty word. Because they... shame, shame is the most dangerous part when these things happen, when a child feels shame, whether it's over an inappropriate conversation or someone trying to do something inappropriate, that's why they keep secrets mm -hmm. because that, you know, a lot of times because they feel that shame and when they don't feel that and they feel open that they can come and talk to us about it and we'll support them, not blame them they're more prone to come and talk to us about those difficult moments. Um, yeah. And I think all of these small conversations that start in childhood just continue and mm -hmm. set the foundation to be able to have the more difficult conversations as our kids get older, yes. or what would have been very difficult conversations if mm -hmm. you hadn't been build, setting the foundation, building those blocks to be able to just um, continue with the natural flow of these safety conversations mm -hmm. that come up with our kids. Um, and that's that what I was, communication. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It makes it become a natural, it's like a natural progression from who should be helping you take your shirt off when you get your bath or who should be seeing you like that to when they're a teenager creating boundaries before dating. Um, individual boundaries for emotional and physical safety or whatever, whatever it is, my kids came and talked to me about that. And that was a big deal because when I went out to date and whatever, I had, I had none of that. It was all sneaky, sneak, sneak. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think, um, I think maybe those are the two pieces, the two biggest components, the two things that could keep our kids the safest that we often overlook yes. when we're talking about safety or when we're talking about internet safety is where our kids sense, uh, our kids sense of self-esteem and their ability to openly communicate with us. Yes. 
And I think those two pieces are the largest contributing factor and often overlooked in the conversation usually revolves around something like what apps are you guys using to monitor your kids' phones? And, you know, (laughs) the rules restrictions are usually where the conversation is focused around. Mm -hmm. Um, And not that it's not, you know, important to understand and be able to navigate the apps that our kids are using or Mm -hmm. to understand and navigate the internet in our own right so that we have, you know, some basis for what our kids are doing and consuming and understanding. Mm -hmm. But when our kids are able to come to us through their entire life about these tough subjects, they're not so tough anymore. You're not playing catch up. You're not constantly, oh, I have to look through their room. I have to look through their phone. I have to do this because they're willingly coming and talking to you in those difficult moments. And I felt like you know, when I was growing up, my parents were constantly playing catch up with things. You know what I mean? Trying to find or trying to figure out where my kids come and talk to me about it or ask me questions about, you know, things like that. So it's, it's kind of the difference between being proactive and being reactive. Yes. Um, you know, mm-hmm. because if you're starting when they're young and everything's, you know, become normalized to be able to talk about and and be able to openly communicate about there's not this shocking, jarring, like, oh, I don't want to have this. You right. have them. You talk to, I don't want to talk to them about that. You go talk yeah. to them, you yep. know, um, because it's kind of just been a natural flow of communication and conversation around difficult. Yeah, exa- exactly. And, and, and I think all the safety, internet safety and dating safety and anything else, it always comes back to that. Do they feel safe coming to us in difficult situations? Or do they feel safe coming and talking to us in scary situations or uncomfortable situations? Or are they going to feel shame and hide it? I mean, it always comes back to that. And I also think parents with good intentions will be very strict, will be very harsh. Think if I restrict this so much, if I am strict enough at this, if I, you know, pretend that it doesn't happen other places and it definitely won't happen with my kid, then it won't. And that's, and we know that that's not really the way the world works because all these kids have grown up and said, oh yeah, I did that. Oh yeah, yeah, I did that. But you had no idea. Or like, you know, they're still scared to tell their parents about the things that they did when they were 15 at the age of 30. Yes. (laughs) But it it also gives them the opportunity, it also gives them the opportunity to not only grow in their relationship and have, and keep each other safe but it gives them an opportunity to make better choices in their teen years. And I really think that's why my kids, as of now, it wasn't a tumultuous time like it was for me because we have that open communication. That's just a natural thing. That doesn't mean they don't make choices. I don't care for it. Doesn't mean that they don't do things that I, you know, may not be my first choice for them, but overall it's a completely different experience than what I had. And the other thing is, is that if they do make a choice that you don't agree with, if they do do something that even they wish they hadn't done, make a mistake, they're learn, they learn something the hard way. Are they able to come to you about it? Because that's something I, I didn't do a lot of things that people uh, assume that teenagers are doing, but Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that I was perfect or I always made perfect decisions or I didn't learn things the hard way. I'm a very impulsive person. I'm a very, you know, and that's, that's always been part of who I am. So there were some mistakes made. And the first person that I was able to go to was my mom. And so important. it's so important because being able to navigate, um, fixing your mistakes, remedying your mistakes with somebody who has more experience, who can guide you in a productive and healthy way versus mm-hmm. another teenager, God forbid, yeah, um, is super, super, super important. 
um, so that we're not, you know, taking one small mistake and it's snowballing into and it or it wipes away everything else good they've done. The one mistake wipes everything else away. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's another thing. People don't come to their parents about things if they feel like it's going to be held against them for the next 20 years. Thrown in their face. Every single thing that they do, it's going to be thrown in their face. I never Mm -hmm. had that fear. I never had the fear that, okay, this one mistake I made now defines me. Mm -hmm. And, and And I almost think it's more, not more important, but I'll say just as important, how we handle those difficult moments than how we praise them for their great grades or their this or their that. It's how we handle the failures that almost make the relationship, you know what I mean? Because not it's not in the good times that we learn growth and all that stuff. It's when we're having a difficult moment or they're coming to us with something uncomfortable. It's how we handle that that lets them know, hey, if something happens, I can go to her. She kept her word. She didn't take my phone or punish me or yell at me like she sat and talked to me. I really think in those difficult moments, we can learn so much. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Um, but just kind of in a nutshell, everything that we talked about, um, when it comes to internet safety, you know, your child's self-esteem, the open communication, how important that really is with you and how early that starts. And it starts with being able to communicate even from the youngest ages, having those difficult conversations, talking about difficult subjects, um, in very neutral times so that when they do come up, your kids, there's no stigma around talking about it. The the foundation has already been set Mm -hmm. and how much that really helps to protect them on the internet and everywhere in their life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a ton of resources now to help that I didn't have when the girls were little, but I have books linked on my, on my TikTok of of discussions to have with your younger children on bodily autonomy and keeping themselves safe. There's so many um, books and resources now to really help that conversation be easier. Thanks for hanging out and we'll see you next time.